It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. A good Sunday evening, everybody. I'm Eric Kane alongside Brent Hubs. This is the Rocky Top Rewind here on the VolQuest YouTube channel and at VolQuest.com. Can't thank you enough for being here. Appreciate you guys uh, hanging out with us for the next hour from 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern time. We're going to talk Tennessee football, the win over Kentucky. We're going to answer all of your questions, so go ahead and send those in there. We'll storm and we'll try to get to them as the hour goes on. We'll answer your questions. We'll talk with Austin Price. Grant Ramey is going to join the show at 8.30. Tennessee had a nice, exciting exhibition win at Michigan State. Uh, so Grant Ramey is going to tell us all about that. So we have a loaded, fun hour coming up here on the Rocky Top Rewind. It's presented every single week by our friend Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Matthew A. Spivey, J. Matt King, Richard A. Spivey. If you got a problem, let them find a solution for you. That's TN Trial Lawyers. You can get a free consultation by giving them a call today at 423-245-4185. You can visit them online at SpiveyKingAndSpiveyLLP.com. Brent Hubs, um, it was uh, exciting in a lot of areas. Tennessee was sharp offensively, not in the red zone as much as you like, but Tennessee ran the ball effectively. Your quarterback was really good. Defensively, really good against the run, not so much against the pass, but overall, this is a game that Tennessee needed to win. It won, and you're 6-2 and two, heading back into the month of November for only the second time since Philip Formos last head coach at Tennessee, of course, last year and now this year. Big win for Tennessee. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, listen, winning up there is never the easiest go of it, even when you think that it's that it's going to be. For whatever reason, that place is just hard. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's a hard, for for a short drive. It feels like a hard trip every time you go up there for whatever reason. And um, you know, so you, you knew that Tennessee was going to be in a in a in a game. Um, I didn't think there'd be that many points. I didn't think Tennessee would be that effective offensively and I certainly didn't think, think Kentucky would be that effective throwing the football uh, but that was a nice win for Tennessee uh, you find a way and that's what it's about in this league on the road is finding a way Tennessee was really good in the fourth quarter to close out a football game they got off to a good start and uh, they survived any kind of lull that they had in there but um, you know it starts with what Michael's saying here is Joe Milton Joe Milton played I, I thought really well we you know Austin's called him the the prettiest game manager out there uh, just with, you know, that's kind of how he plays. I thought he managed the game beautifully yesterday. He really did. I, I didn't I didn't think he had a miss yesterday. Uh, did he complete every ball? No. But were there any of those that you went, what, what was that? There was not a what was. There was not a uh-oh throw in the day yesterday. So I uh, was impressed with what Joe did. Um, I don't know that Tennessee can run it that effectively against everybody that got left on the, rot, on the schedule, but that was certainly a nice win for Tennessee. Yeah, it was, and we'll continue to talk Joe Milton as the hour goes on, but uh, like you said, he had three incompletions. Two of them, if you want to get super nitpicky, you could technically say maybe that was interference over there, but they were they were good balls, catchable balls for their guys. Um, and then he made some really great off-platform throws, and we'll talk about that more as we go on. But I do want to 
uh, you know, from the top. I mean, Joe Milton played really, really effective. Let's go and answer a super cat, super chat question here from Vol for Life 1982. We thank you for uh, sending us in a super chat. There's no question our DNs are being hell. What does Banks need to do from an adjustment standpoint to get pressure since they are not getting calls? It feels like week after week there was an issue like this at Alabama. Of course, last night you had the long pause in the postgame press conference for Josh Heupel because he didn't want to criticize officials. Uh, Warren Burrell was held on the Ray Davis uh, touchdown run. Tyler Barron is getting held just about every single week. A lot of that's football. I get it. But uh, is there any adjustments that Tim Banks can make to try to alleviate some of that? No, I think you're just going to keep coming. You got to keep using your hands and um, you got to keep playing. You got to hope that you get a call at some point. I, I mean, listen, they ran some twists and some stunts yesterday. Um, they ran some blitzes, some zone blitzes, and dropped guys in coverage. I mean, they mixed it up with some different stuff. Um, you got to hope at some point you start getting some calls. Uh, you're not going to get all of them, but when the offensive tackle pulls James Pierce down as he's falling down and pulls him on top of him, I understand why Josh Heupel's frustrated with those calls. Again, you're not going to get all of them, but you, but you need to get um, a few of them, right, at, at some point. And so we'll see um, if they can get any calls moving forward. Kentucky's not been called for a lot of holding. They don't seem to be calling that. A lot. I know Tennessee had the one hold against them, but it was out in open space. It was pretty easy to see. Um, I just think you got to keep coming is what you've got to do. I, I don't know that there's a whole lot else out there uh, other than just pin your ears back and keep coming on those third down plays. Appreciate the Super Chat. We'll take uh, your Super Chat questions as the night goes on. Any questions you have, we'll answer those uh, here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Uh, before we get into more of those questions, I thought it was really important for Tennessee to get back to who they were. Uh, and that's that's running the football. That's your identity. I, I thought Joe Milton last week and yesterday did a lot of good things with his legs. And man, I really think um, it, it might. Everybody's different, but uh, may, maybe just getting hit early on just kind of you know get you get you ready to go because it feels like those early runs and scrambles on third downs each of the past two games have really kind of got Joe Milton going. But the traditional run game, you got to get Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, and Dylan Sampson going. And 52 yards from the first drive into the end zone. Jalen Wright, you know, he nearly totaled Tennessee's entire tailback rushing production from the week before on drive number one. A big game for Jalen Wright. Dylan Sampson was incredible in the fourth quarter. Jabari Small, 32 yards on nine carries. Tennessee got back to running the football, and I thought that was a huge emphasis and, and took a lot off Joe, who was really good on the night as well. Yeah, I, and... Uh... You know, I'm surprised at the way Kentucky played it. I really am. I, I, obviously, Kentucky was scared to death of their secondary and didn't think they could match up in a lot of, um, you know, zero coverage, a lot of man coverage. They played a lot of zone, which they did against Missouri. That lightens the box. And, you know, we know um, whenever the box is light, Eric, then Josh Heupel is going to run the football and they're going to take advantage of it. Tennessee's pull game was really good yesterday, uh, pulling tackles, pulling guards. Um, they did it a variety of different ways. At times, they pulled the tight end as an H-back. Yeah. Um, they're very creative um, schematically in the run game, particularly when they get going because they pull from all sides and they pull from various places. They'll pull everybody on the offensive line, and it allows that kick-out block. It helps you get to the second level. Um, it creates those angles and edges, which it lets Tennessee kind of gash you, you know, or hit a seam, if you will, um, and, and it works. Um, and, and that's exactly what happened to, to Tennessee. Uh, I, you know, early and often in the run game, they got it going. I, I thought the biggest play early was Joe's third down conversion where he dropped his pads and ran over the guy. Um, yeah. you know, I, I thought that goes to me, goes back to him knocking out the linebacker from Texas A&M. 
he's played physical since that play. Now, there's times he slides and does a good job, but he he had a good understanding of what he needed to get done yesterday and what he needed to get done on that play. And instead of trying to make a guy miss and getting tackled by his ankles, he just turned into him, bowled him over for the first down. I, I thought that was a great opening series play for Joe Milton. Yeah, it was. And again, I, I think it it kind of goes against what he didn't do against Texas A&M where he was heavily criticized. And, you know, it, it's kind of like you want to go to the sticks, make an effort. And the last two games he's done that. And that's been, and I really think that's kind of gotten him in the groove to go out there and play a big football game. And I think that's helped him. Uh, Donovan chimes in here with the Super Chat. Donovan, we appreciate you as always. We'll talk some hoops at 830 with Grant Ramey. He says, what up, Eric and Brent? Glad uh, Tennessee 6-2. and two. On the other hand, y'all better jump on Dalton Connect bandwagon. He's being charged with assault. My goodness. He had a... He had a great game, and again, we'll get more into this at 8.30. He had a fantastic showing in that exhibition game at Michigan State, 28 points. Um, was really good at the charity stripe, really good from three. He and, and, and Ganey as well. Some some new newcomers for Tennessee performed in a big way where you played a quality opponent, quality program without two of your best players. Yeah, and I mean, he was terrific, and um, the moment wasn't too big for him. I know it's an exhibition game, but he hadn't he hadn't played in, um, hadn't played in that, time, that period of time, and um, stepped in and, and and was terrific for Tennessee. So we'll talk to Grant about it at the bottom of the hour. But yeah, they're gonna he's gonna be a fan favorite very quickly in Knoxville with, with the way he played today. Let's go to Colton here. Colton's got a question about Joe as we're talking about um, you know his ability to run the football and how he's played much better the last two weeks. Did Joe have some rib injury early, plus the later knee injury to where now he's healthy and we're seeing what we thought we'd see even sooner. Uh, Brent, no one's ever going to be 100% healthy as the season goes on. Uh, he did have a knee brace, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago after being taken down awkwardly, I guess, in that Austin P game. Um, there's been some talk about the ribs. He's never missed a snap, never missed a game. Uh, I think the bye week helped him along with everybody else, but he's certainly looking different the last two weeks. Yeah, the ribs, the ribs were an issue early. Um, yeah. Now they didn't want to run him against Virginia and uh, UTSA and Austin P because they didn't need to run him there. Uh, probably should have tried to run him a little bit more against Florida, although I think he was pretty tender and pretty sore there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you're getting into, you know, this team's sort of getting into what you thought it would be. And that's the disappointment, you know, as you go and look back at that Florida game. Joe's not 100% healthy. You don't have Cooper Mays. Uh, you're not who you thought you were going to be offensively early in the year. Um, they're not going to be what they were last year, but I do think they're getting better offensively with the way Joe's played the last two weeks. We'll continue to take your questions. We'll move on now to uh, tournament bracket here. And I, I thought one of the good storylines throughout the game was Dante Thornton. Um, he has been Casper out there so far this season. He's just not been there. And when he's out there, he's not doing anything well. Um, he played a really good game, bouncing outside from the slot, starting outside, of course, without Brew McCoy. Maybe that's the right combination. But I think he finished with three receptions for – uh, you know, 63 yards, one of those on a 49-yarder um, on a really good throw. Best throw of the day from from Joe Milton, you know, going out to his left, squaring his shoulder, sewing across the body, 49 yards. Anyway, Dante Thornton in tournament bracket here wants to know, is emergence, can that unlock some new down-the-field passing threat for the two big remaining games? Of course, that's Georgia, and uh, you got Missouri on the road here coming up. Yeah, I mean, I think the question is going to be, you know, how much does Dante Thornton build off this? I mean, I, I think it's where he's supposed to be is on the outside. I think he's more comfortable there. I get why they were they wanted him to play inside because he's got that frame a lot like Jalen Hyatt. So you thought maybe you could get that kind of step in play there and split some time with Squirrel White there. But I think he's clearly more comfortable outside and a little more open space. And uh, I think you'll see him getting targeted more. 
uh, as you go forward here. Can he do that against, you know, Georgia, who's going to pull and grab and tug and play you physical? I don't know. I mean, Tennessee had a hard time getting open last year with two, uh, with some high quality receivers, but because they got shoved around, Tennessee's going to have to be really physical in that game. Uh, and I think Missouri will try to shove Tennessee around some as well. But I do like Dante Thornton out wide as opposed to in the slot because I think he's got more confidence there. Michael wants to know about bowl possibilities. And there's been these projections, you know, every single week there'll be you know, new projections for Tennessee and every, you know, every other college football team as the week goes on. Uh, Brent, I, I think if you get to eight wins, which is, you know, very, very attainable right now, I think you're looking at uh, likely a Florida bowl game. If you get to nine wins, maybe citrus, citrus is a destination. And of course, if you get the double digit wins, I think a New Year's six bowl game is very much in play. Um, a lot of this has to do again, Georgia game. And of course the Missouri game, but if you win at Missouri, you're looking at a nine-win season. I think that, that can get you in citrus at least, right? Well, yeah, I think it depends on where Ole Miss is. How do they yeah. finish out the year? What does LSU look like? You got one team in the playoff, two teams in the playoff. How many get in New Year's Six? Uh, I, I think there's a lot of – I think there's a lot of variables there beyond Tennessee's control. But certainly if you win uh, and you were, you know, you were able to get to nine wins, you know, then, yeah, I mean, I think you're definitely in Florida. Um and I do think Tennessee's attractive, as Donovan says there in the chat. I think Tennessee's fan base is excited, and I think that they are um, that you know they will be an attractive team. But it's going to depend on where some other teams finish as well. We're going to take more of your questions, more of your comments, all that, and more as the hour goes on. Uh, in the second segment coming up here in just a second, Brett Raby is going to join us at eight thirty. Awesome Price at about eight forty. All that and more here on the Rocky Top Rewind. I do want to give a shout out to our friends, our sponsors for making this coverage possible, and that is Spivey King and Spivey LLP. If you've got a problem, let them find a solution for you. That's TN Trial Lawyers. They specialize in criminal defense, family law, and personal injury. Over 80 years of combined experience, Spivey King and Spivey LLP provides representation throughout the state and federal courts in Northeast Tennessee. The firm has a vast amount of trial experience. Practice has been in place for 43 years with this specific partnership for uh, since 2012. They know... The legal demands. They're energized and ready to serve you. They practice primarily in Northeast Tennessee, the Tri-City, Sullivan County, Hawkins County, Washington County, and surrounding areas. Uh, they've won multiple awards and uh, have been rated by super lawyers, and they're going to get the job done for you. So whether you're injured in a car accident, need a divorce, help with custody of your children, or have been accused of a crime, Spivey King and Spivey is there to help. Go ahead and give them a call today if you have the need for a free consultation. That phone number is right there on the screen if you're watching, 423-245-4185. That's 423-245-4185. You can always visit them online at com as well. Spivey King and Spivey LLP, uh, they can help you if you have the need. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind every Sunday night, recapping Tennessee football game. This last Saturday, it was Tennessee 33, Kentucky 27. And this is the Rocky Top Rewind with Brent Hubbs. I'm Mary Kane. We'll be on the air until 9 o'clock, taking your questions 
and a whole lot more. Let's get back into those questions. And we have another super chat here from Donovan, and we can't thank you enough. It's a good question, Brent. We've talked about this as the year's gone on. I know Joe has struggled, but I'm surprised in the two-minute drills, there's not more of a hurry-up, a sense of urgency. The, the defensive backs played way off as well. It's about trying to figure out kind of what you want to do, right? I mean, I'm sitting there on the rewatch, and I, I did it in real time last night as well right before the halftime. I'm like, what are you doing? Go, go, go. But it's like they got to get that first first down. Then they're going to take a shot. And then, of course, the Ramel Keaton catch, which you and I both are like, what in the world? Um, that determined that okay, they're going to go and get some points right there. But I think they're kind of in a feeling out process a lot of those times. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that's what they do. But it does take some time off the clock. Well, but you look at it, Tennessee scored inside the final minute of the first half in five of eight games this year. Uh, the only really one they missed that was critical was Florida. Um, and they got into Florida territory. They just couldn't finish there. They didn't run out of time. Uh, they ran out of downs uh, at that point. So, um, it, you know, it's different. I mean, they go really fast, so they don't have to play the helter-skelter super hurry up. And, again, if, if you're going to get DBs playing way off and you're going to get light, light boxes, Josh Heupel's going to run it. and. Yeah. He did it against Virginia, and they just ran it all the way down the field and scored in about 45 seconds, it felt like. Um, last night, they, you know, hit the one big play on third down and, uh, you know, then got going really fast after that. I don't I don't mind the field goal decision there at seven seconds. Um, could they have had more time? Yes. But if they don't make the – if they don't make the, the catch by Keaton, if they don't get credit for that catch, Kentucky's getting ready to get the football back, and they're getting ready to go two minutes on you. So it's a balancing act uh, of when you get to go, you get it to midfield, get close to midfield, then Tennessee takes off and goes really fast at that point. Brother, there were a lot of good things from last night. Of course, Tennessee, you know, won over Kentucky 33-27. Tennessee ran the ball effectively. Joe Milton was really, really good. I thought early in the game they didn't ask him to do an awful lot, and they continued to put more on him as the game went on, but he was just making some plays. Uh, rush defense was good. I know a lot of people during the game frustrated, you know, calling for – you know, Willie Martinez, Tim Banks, and all that, but let's at least get something out in the open. Tennessee made Kentucky one-dimensional. The, the game plan was make the guy that's completing passes at 54% on the season beat you through the air. That's what Tennessee did. Give Leary credit. You wrote about it in your 10 things you think you learned. He had himself a ball game. <laughs> it's like these quarterbacks have themselves a ball game against the Tennessee defense over the years. He had himself a ball game. Uh, but you shut down Ray Davis. Ray Davis, who leads the SEC with 13 total touchdowns. He got in the end zone once. But a guy that's averaging well over 100 yards, he had 42 yards on the day. So the issue defensively was, just like in Florida, you couldn't get home with four. The lack of a pass rush allowed Leary to sit back there. He was making throws, but uh, he, he was not pressured for much, for much of the night, and that exposed the back end. Yeah, it certainly made him look like. Um, I mean, it made it look like a seven-on-seven seven game at one point, yeah. you know, in, in a lot of ways. Listen, I, I thought the out stuff that Leary threw was was really good. I mean, the out cuts he threw a couple of times. I thought Tennessee was in you know as good a position as you could be in. Um, the throw he made to Barry on Brown for a touchdown, he couldn't have walked out there and handed it to him any better than he than he did on that play. My bigger concern from the secondary and pass defense standpoint was the stuff over the middle of the football field because those weren't skilled throws. Those weren't hard throws to catch the tight end coming across the middle who was open or a receiver who was coming across the middle. That's my bigger takeaway is Tennessee's, you know, opening up the middle of the football field and the linebackers getting stretched and safeties getting stretched and, and tacks there. 
because they couldn't get home. So um, that that's the bigger concern to me. The, the out the out stuff. Listen, I've watched Kentucky play three or four times. It, Devin Leary hadn't done that all year long, throwing yeah. those out cuts. In fact, a lot of times he's been late with them, and then and that's put him in a position to get them intercepted. Um, I didn't think Tennessee. I didn't. There were times those guys were kind of wide open, um, but but there was a lot of times Tennessee was in a situation where they could cover and were in pretty decent coverage. He just threw a really good ball. Yeah, there were there were a number of throws where I'm just like, man, that is. And you're right; it's the out stuff. I think you know the broadcast even said a couple of different times, like, hey, that's an NFL throw. I mean, that's a strong throw on the outs. You know, putting there between two defenders, um, really, really good throws. But there were a lot of times, whether it was zone, whether it was man, and Tennessee's defensive backs were just really slow to react, really slow to get over there and and, and help. I thought, you know, Wesley Walker's pl- played some pretty good football for Tennessee this year. I thought he didn't have his best game yesterday. I thought he was a little slow reacting. Um, the quarterbacks were tough. Uh, Kamal Hadden was not out there. I thought Slaughter got picked on a little bit. Gave you Lolly. Made a couple of plays, but I think he got picked on a little bit. You played Warren Burrell and Brandon Turnage at points in times. Ricky Gibson even got a little run. They're just trying to find, you know, an answer there at the cornerback position. I, I didn't think defensive back, obviously, specifically at cornerback, they were very good last night. I thought they were just kind of slow. Yeah, I don't think they played. I don't think the secondary played well. I think yeah. Leary made them probably look look like they were playing worse than they were, but they didn't play well. And again, they're they're used to the guys up front speeding the whole thing up, speeding the quarterback up. That's the first game Tennessee's not had multiple sacks in the game. They only had one sack last night. And, um, you know, a couple of questions over there. Thomas wanted to know, was was Kentucky holding? Sure, they were holding. It happens. Um, you know, and and that Tennessee's going to have to deal with it because they're not getting those calls right now. Um, I don't think it's a buy. I mean, I don't know. I think the officiating so inconsistent that, you know, I'm sure that, Alabama thought the officials missed several calls on Tennessee, and so did Kentucky last night. It is strange, and it is a weird phenomenon that you've seen two games take place where the opponent Tennessee's playing did not have a live penalty. Everything was a dead ball penalty. Um, You you rarely see anything like that, and that's what you saw last night. All the Kentucky penalties were pre-snap, false starts, operational penalties. They did not have a penalty once the ball was snapped. The same as Alabama didn't have a ball once the penalty or didn't have a penalty once the ball was snapped. There's where Josh Heupel's frustration lies and why you're getting the next question as his new favorite answer post game press conferences. I think it's only fitting. Daniel points it out right here. <laughs> Will Love has had himself a pretty good ball game as NFL debut. As a Titans fan, I still don't think that he's very good. We'll see if he plays, if he does that against anybody other than the Atlanta Falcons. But, uh, you know, Will Levis, you know, played. He played really good against Tennessee in 2021. Of course, Spencer Rattler is one that comes to mind that just, you know, went off last year in that South Carolina game. And then Leary, you've seen it like with Rattler and, and Leary, you've seen it before throughout their college careers. Uh, they just kind of did it again against Tennessee. It's just one of those things, unfortunately. And and there was a comment a moment ago saying, "Please stop talking about getting home when they've been held all night." Like I get it, I understand it. it's bad. I mean, Josh Heupel clearly frustrated, but I mean, Rodney Garner would be the first to say, Brent, you just you got to play through it. I mean, that that's football. You're not going to get every call and you, you got to figure it out. There were a couple different times where I thought Pierce, you know, could have done something. I, you know, Roman Harrison, I thought got beat a couple of times. You got to fight through that adversity, whether it be holding or, or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, listen, you're going to get hold, held every play. They can call holding on every play. So um, every, every time you don't get a sack, you can't, it can't simply be that you got held. 
Uh, but you know, I would like to see it called more consistently. Um, but it's, it's not right now. I don't understand what pass interference is right now. Um, just the way it is. That's what that's where the game is. Uh, there's no accountability to it. There's no answer to it as to why that's the case. Josh Heupel will send his seven or eight, 10 plays in this week as he sent in last week. And, you know, he'll get the similar answer that, Hey, yeah, we'll look at it and, you know, duly noted, or maybe we disagree with you on this one. And yeah, you're right. We missed that one. And you move on. And, and that's unfortunately the way officiating is, is kind of managed in the SEC. You had also made note uh, on one of the two-minute drills last week about uh, Keenan Peely, hearing that uh, he's working really hard. He, he might be a little bit ahead of schedule. What's the latest with uh, Tennessee's linebacker who you haven't seen since the Virginia game and is going to be a big part of this defense coming over from BYU? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. You know, the original hope was Georgia. I think he's ahead of that schedule. Does that mean he gets some snap against UConn? He did not dress uh, Saturday night uh, at Kentucky, so he's clearly not ready. I don't know if he's going to be ready for UConn. Could, could he practice, start practicing some this week and maybe see where he's at for Missouri? You know, we'll have to see. Um, some other people were asking earlier, I was scrolling through some of the comments earlier, wanting to know about his eligibility status and those types of things. Um, he's ready to be 26 years old and he's married. I don't know that he wants to cut, try to come back for another year. If he doesn't play in any games this year, he could appeal and try to get another year of eligibility. I just don't know that he has any desire to do that if he has an opportunity to play down the stretch of this season and maybe a bowl game. I think that's something that, you know, he has to consider and has been considering as he rehabs. And right now I think he's a couple of weeks ahead, um, you know, maybe a week ahead of, of where some people thought he might be coming back. I do think there's a chance he could be back from Missouri, um, but we'll see. You had tight ends for Tennessee that caught five touchdowns in seven games entering this football game. Jacob Warren, McCallum Castles were not targeted one time. Now the receivers had a good day. Um, you know, Kelsey Pope was excited after the after the game, and he should be because Thornton played well, Keaton played well, Squirrel played well. Were they perfect? No. Uh, Nimrod had a touchdown. I mean, the receivers played well, uh, but it's kind of odd that these tight ends didn't get targeted even one time because it's, in my opinion, this year it's been more of a focal point of the offense with Joe Milton at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I don't have an answer as to why. Um... It's not like a quarterback didn't throw the ball well and they didn't move the ball. So I, I don't know that they left a lot of passing yards out there by not going to the tight end. Uh, the tight ends were heavier involved in, in the run game. I don't know exactly how um, Kentucky was playing all their coverages. I know they took tried to take a couple of shots vertically down the field, and Kentucky was, was playing center field with the safety and uh, was playing some zone stuff back there. So um, it just didn't work out that way where they weren't targeted. I don't think it was – I don't think it was necessarily they went into the game going, hey, we're not going to get it to the tight end, but I don't think they went into the game going, hey, we got to get it to the tight end seven times. We're going to take what the defense gave us, and um, they felt like they could win some matchups uh, you know, with the receivers, and, and they did that. Um, I, I was intrigued by the Dylan Sampson element of the passing game. A couple times you know, he was in the slot there. Could you see more of that moving forward? I, I think there's some interesting things you can do with Dylan Sampson given the way he played in the fourth quarter. One time in the red zone, and you know, we talked about being more creative in the red zone to try to fix those issues. Um, it didn't work out, but you had Jalen Wright in the slot. You had Jacob Warren beside your quarterback in the shotgun in the backfield, and you sent Wright in motion, and then you ran that quarterback counter. Didn't work out, but again, in the red zone, trying to find some more creativity to punch that ball in. You know, Tennessee at least showed that a little bit last night. Yeah, I don't know that it was going anywhere. I mean, yeah. obviously the guard, Ollie Lane, missed the block there, the kickout block there. But when you watch it on replay, I don't know 
it certainly wasn't going to the end zone. It would have been positive yards, not minus five, but uh, it was not going in the direction that, that it needed to be going. And, you know, Tennessee red zone's a little funky stat. Like that's a red zone trip um, at the end of the first half. Cause there's one snap in there. Um, you, you know what I mean? And so, they had a touchdown in the red zone and then they had a penalty in the red zone, which knocked them out and messed that series up. And then they had the miss, the miss block there that messed that second series up. We'll continue to recap Tennessee's 33, 27 win over Kentucky. But when we come back here on the Rockets, Top rewind Grant Ramey joining us from campus, Tennessee, an exhibition win over Michigan state an exciting day for Tennessee basketball with the season right around the corner. Grant Ramey will join us next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Do you want to tell you real quick about our friends Game Time? You shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Sporting events at the Thompson Bowling Arena Food City Center, Lady Vols, you know, volleyball, of course the men's basketball team, but also there's shows there. There's monster truck shows, there's comedy shows. There's a lot going on over there at TBA. That's just an example. For anything going on over there and other places around town, you can use Game Time to buy those tickets. It's the perfect place to buy last-minute tickets. They help you out as well. They have a protection for job loss, event cancellation protection, lowest price guarantee as well. So if you find that same ticket for a cheaper price, they're going to give you 110% of a credit for that ticket. All that and more, that is at Game Time. Easy to use, easy to find, flash deals. All those deals for everything going on in your area. You can download the Game Time app today, create an account, use the promo code VOLS, V-O-L-S, for $20 off your first purchase. That's terms, terms again apply. Use the uh, promo code VOLS for $20 off your first purchase by downloading Game Time app today. Download Game Time app today, last minute tickets, lowest price, guarantee more with the Rocky Top Rewind. When we return, Grant Ramey will join the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane. That is Brent Hubbs. And now joining the fun, the party here is Grant Ramey from inside his car somewhere. Are you safe, buddy? Did, did, did uh, you have I, enough light over there? All I know is it's 46 degrees and raining, and who chooses to live up here is beyond me. I mean, it's, it's going to be cold at the house this week, but I think it's like 75 at the house right now, and it's 46 and rainy. It's somewhere in East Lansing. This guy went and covered Tennessee football last night at Kentucky, drove through the night, covered Tennessee's exhibition win over Michigan State, final score 89-88. Great coverage over at VolQuest.com from both Grants, who was on site, and, of course, Rob Lewis. Grant, exciting finish. Tennessee off to a great start. Kind of won that game with some free throws there with less than two seconds left. End of the day, doesn't matter. This win doesn't count. But quality program without two of your best players. An exciting day for Tennessee hoops. Yeah, it, it doesn't count, but it's a test nonetheless. Win or lose, it's going to be a huge test on the road. Uh, Big-time atmosphere. Uh, I don't know if it's a sellout, but it looked like a capacity crowd. Uh, really nice environment, uh, something you don't get in October, obviously, this time of year. Something I didn't need was a steal on the inbound with five seconds left to tie the game and uh, wrecks everything I've written to that point. And I, need to, I need to ease my way into basketball season and get a, a Lenore Ryan kind of scrimmage where it's a 50-point game with 10 minutes left, but yeah, it was a huge, I mean, Tennessee gets out on the start. They get 17, one, whatever it was led by 18 first half. Michigan state got it down to one, three different times tied it with 
3.7 seconds left, whatever it was, and for Tennessee to go down and to draw a foul and to get to the free throw line. Jordan Ganey missed the first one, make the second one, 1.9 seconds left. Uh, just a huge test they passed, a uh, road test, uh, something you don't get this time of year. Very, very interesting start for this team. Yeah, Grant, I mean, first of all, I hope Mike Wilson didn't scream at anybody next to him on press row because I, I know how he is in those tight moments with with, with the final <laughs> play. So hopefully he, he he did not scar anyone up there the worst. in his old stomping grounds. But uh, I joke, um, I, I, this team, for, for this team to do this, how do we not make too much out of this, Grant? Because you don't have your two best guys in the backcourt. You've got all these newcomers who come in and make a splash. How do you not make too much out of this when when you look at it big picture wise? You you think back to last October in Frisco, Texas, and Tennessee scored ninety something on Gonzaga and beat them by eighteen, nineteen, whatever it was. And Tyreek Key torched them, hit a ton of shots. He looked like all everything the guy they needed out of the portal, and it didn't it just didn't pan out that way. I mean, you fast forward to March and they got down eight against Florida Atlantic in the second half of a Sweet Sixteen game, and it felt like they were down eighteen because that's how much that Tennessee team had struggled to score at that point in the season. So you got to take everything with a grain of salt. What happens in October, not necessarily going to be happening in Octo- uh, March, but to have Don Connect score 28, to have Ganey score 20, uh, to win that game on the road, an exhibition, whatever, without Santiago Vescovi, without Zakai Ziegler, your two veteran guards, your two guys are going to be handling the ball. Um, it's a huge performance because I, I didn't really come here thinking Tennessee had much of a chance to win without those two guys in the lineup, on the road, in that environment without the two guys you need handling the ball. So for them to get the big lead, for it to go away like, like it did late in the first half, and for them to keep responding every time Michigan State got back within one, uh, very, very impressive stuff. Kind of on that note, you, you continue to mention Sakai Ziegler didn't play, Santiago Vespi didn't play. So it's impossible to answer this question, but how did that impact the, the rotation in an exhibition game in October? Right. And then off that, even without those two guys, Freddie DeLeon played 14 minutes. That that was a surprise to me. Was that to you? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I think Rick likes to send messages uh, with young players, uh, especially minutes and starting and all that stuff. If, if you're not doing exactly what he thinks you need to be doing or if you're not pressing as hard as he wants you to press, he'll, he'll send a message by starting somebody else and by limiting your minutes. Now, he did say tonight that he liked what he got from Freddie, and they wanted to keep him out on the floor in some situations where things weren't going well and they wanted to face some adversity. But at the same time, they started Jordan Ganey, and Jordan Ganey gave him no reason to come off the floor, especially early on the way he was making shots. So I think without Santi, without Zakai, it forced Jordan Ganey on the floor a little bit more, which is probably a good thing. It forced Josiah Jordan-James to handle the ball more. Dalton Connect even handled the ball a little bit. Uh, Jonas Adu, the seven-footer, brought it up a couple times, almost like he was a point guard, like it's kind of NBA positionless basketball. So without those two guys, I think it forced more minutes for more guys, uh, and that's a that's a big benefit moving forward. Grant, Grant everybody's going to be talking about Dalton Connect. It, what he showed today is that what you thought his game was? Was there more? Is there more to his game than than you thought there would be? Again, as you reminded everybody. Key went off against Gonzaga, and everybody thought that that right. was there. So you got to be careful. But this felt different and looked different with a guy who, to me, was a more complete basketball player than I anticipated him being as a scorer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what we had heard all summer, all spring and summer about Don Connect. This guy's a legit three-level scorer. He can drive it. He's aggressive. He'll go to the rim. He can score it in the mid-range. He's, he can be lethal at the three-point line if he gets going. He can hit big shots. And he scored it 
if you look at his his kind of climb is kind of unique. It's like he went high school, JUCO, small college. Now he's at the SEC. He's had to climb each rung of the ladder and keep scoring, and he's done that. And what Rick wants out of him is defense because he's been after him on the defensive end since the day he stepped on campus. He wasn't good enough on that end of the floor. And what Rick praised him about tonight, first thing, was his defense and the effort. He said they've seen the offense all spring and summer. What they had not seen was the defensive effort he had to start the game. And and he, I think Rick said he raised the bar in terms of expectations on the defensive end for himself and showing himself what he can do when he puts in that kind of effort. So it's not only the impressive scoring. I mean, scoring 28 points on 16 shots, that's extremely efficient. Uh, but what he did on the defensive end, I think more than anything, is what Tennessee's pleased with. Great. I want to ask you about another newcomer, Jordan Ganey. Um, not just a shooter. He handled the ball a lot. He got some rebounds, had some assists. Uh, what did you like about Jordan Ganey out there? 34 minutes, and um, he had 20 points as well. I mean, two years ago, he was a freshman at USC Upstate, and he had one of the best three-point percentages in the country, all of college basketball. And that's USC Upstate. That's a different level of competition entirely, whatever. And then last year, he was kind of scouted against a little bit more. He was the object of the scouting reports at USC Upstate. He didn't shoot it quite as well. So for him to come in in his debut and start five for five from the field and start four for four from the three-point line, I mean, when that ball bounced off the spring box and went up about 12 feet and came straight back down through the – uh, net. I think that's when you knew it was going to be a pretty good uh, afternoon for Jordan Ganey. So for him to come out and hit shots the way he did and handle the ball the way he did and to take on the bigger probably load than anybody expected because you didn't expect Santi to be out. You didn't know what you're going to get from Zakai, if anything. For him to step up and, and perform in that spotlight with that bigger load, that bigger responsibility, uh, it's a huge start for him. It's a huge start for Dalton Connect. Tennessee needed really badly to land two stars out of the portal and so far so uh, so good on how they've looked grant is this going to be a four out one in team when you look at them in the post is that the matchup are they going to want to play small given their roster and their depth obviously some games you probably can't do that but is that going to be what this team's about i think it's going to have to be because right now i don't trust jonas adu and i don't trust tobey waka to night in night out consistently produce and not foul i mean rick wants them to play physical brand of basketball, really good defense. It's hard to play that brand of defense without fouling and to be that disciplined on the defensive end. And those are two guys that have struggled with foul trouble, and they struggled today too. There's no foul outs in the exhibition, so you play it different. I mean, they had two guys on the floor at the end of the game that had seven fouls each. So you're going to – you know, Jonas Adu and, and Tobey is not playing the minutes they're playing with three fouls early in the second half or two fouls early in the second half like they had tonight. So I would be having Josiah at the four. I'd have Dalton at the four. I would be keeping – because you're wing and guard heavy on this roster, I'd be keeping as many of those guys on the four as I can because I don't just know – I don't know what you're going to get night in and night out from uh, Jonas and Tobey. Grant, how do some of these newcomers look? I know it was exhibition game. They didn't get a whole lot of minutes, but Kate Phillips, eight minutes. Uh, JB Australia, four minutes. Cameron Carr just got a minute in there. Um, how do some of those young guys look that uh, you know were highly touted prospects now in the program? Yeah, it's wild seeing Cade Phillips out there uh, against Michigan State in those big moments. Uh, the progress he's made, I guess, since he finally got healthy, he's been dealing with knee, he's been dealing with the foot, he's been dealing with the shoulder over the last year, two years, whatever of his career. He's healthy and he's made up a ton of ground. He was a redshirt candidate a few months ago. Now he's a guy that looks like he could be in the back, back into that rotation. I think he might be playing ahead of J.P. Estrella a little bit based on what we saw. Uh, tonight and they really like cam Carr, and they're extremely excited about his future and the upside he has he's a six five kid with a seven one wingspan i mean he's that crazy of an athlete he's gonna be a really good basketball player 
but to get Cade the minutes they got him, to get JP the minutes they got him, probably should have got Pam some more uh, if they could have. Uh, but it's a really good place to start. Dalvin says that Grant's got to kick the ball out sometimes, quit trying to score every single time. He picked up a lot of confidence this summer playing with USA Basketball. What have you seen from uh, from, from Tobey uh, so far in this offseason? Yeah, with the ball in his hand, he's a little out of his element. He, he forces it a little bit too much. Um, just when he gets the ball down there, he doesn't have to score. Uh, the, the, the question is correct. He can kick it out because his team's got shooters, and, and that's what they want to do, and you saw it some tonight. Uh, he's a guy that's most comfortable rebounding. He's a guy that's most comfortable trying to change shots on the defensive end uh, in the post. Uh, he can score it. It just it, when you throw it down there, it feels like it's a little bit too forced. So yeah, I, I would agree with that. He needs to kick it out a little bit more and, and not have to force it. Grant, anything else, man? Uh, a long trip up there. It was a, success, a successful trip for Tennessee, even though again it doesn't matter. But as you mentioned, road environments, quality competition. Um, you know, Tennessee wins in the last minute without two players. 89-88, the final score. Anything else from Tennessee's exhibition win over Michigan State? Uh, it's a quick turnaround from here. Uh, Tuesday night, Lenore Ryan uh, in the exhibition opener at Thompson Bowling Arena, and then they turn around. They play Tennessee Tech at home in the regular season opener on November 6th. I think today, today Zakai being out was just precautionary. I would, I would think he might get a couple minutes against Lenore Ryan and, and see how it goes from there. I think the plan is for him to play in the opener against Tennessee Tech on November 6th, so we'll see. Uh, Santiago Vesco, not sure when he'll be back. He went home a couple of days ago. Obviously, Uruguay is going to be a, a little bit of a trip back for him whenever he does come back. But I, I would assume he's back by November 6th for the opener. So interested to see what this team looks like when those guys get back on the floor uh, with the rest of the guards and the wings and everybody we saw and, and see how they build on this performance. Grant, big picture here as we let you out the door. Will, you, will there be more teams around the country do this type of thing? Um, what do you think that this will be at the power five level that people will spend the money uh, to do, to do this? I'll say this, the production value was terrific because you got mm -hmm. some behind the scenes stuff today. I mean, you got coaches wearing headsets during a game. Uh, so from a viewership standpoint, it was pretty fun to watch. I would imagine coaches like it, but do you think this type of game really takes off moving forward on campus venues with, with, with this type of play with big time programs? I think it has to because it makes too much sense not to. I mean, you okay. can do this. You can get a huge test for your team, for the other team. You can get, you can raise money for a good cause. I mean, all the money that from tonight goes to the the Maui wildfire relief stuff. Pick your uh, charity of choice in the future. I mean, Arkansas had 20000 at Bud Walton the other day for a Purdue game that went to overtime. I mean, that's a huge test. Even if you're on the road, uh, you, you're, you're getting that test, that road test, that first road trip out of the way. Get these guys on a charter flight play in this kind of environment, uh, kind of have that run through. I mean, Tennessee goes to Wisconsin in a couple of weeks and a very similar uh, trip as the one they're on right now. So I think it makes too much sense not to. It's one thing to play Lenore Ryan. Yeah, you got to get some of those games in for exhibitions. But Rick said he's, he it doesn't make sense to him why they don't have more of these. Uh, play three exhibitions if you have to and play two power fives or whatever. Play two big-time matchups. And one – Really, really funny scene from tonight. I'm looking down at the bench, and I see Rick's got a headset on. And he had, he had mentioned talking to the broadcast in the middle of it a couple of days ago, saying they had to do that. But he's got the headset on, and Tennessee's turning it over on the other end of the floor, and he's just throwing his arms up. He's not happy, and he's got a headset on. And he's I don't I don't know what he was saying, if he was uh, yelling about his team or just talking about something completely different. But the, the juxtaposition of the headset on, throwing the hands up on the bench, not happy, was uh, pretty good. It was a fun. It was a fun broadcast to watch. It really was. It, it was. It was well done today for sure. It felt like March. I mean, I, I needed a easier. 
I didn't need to d- jump head first into the deep end. I needed some wading into the shallow end of the pool before we, especially on a back-to-back football weekend. All right, we'll get back and uh, we'll see you at the quarterbacks club tomorrow at Calhoun's. All right. Yeah, high noon, baby. I'm about to get on this private jet. <laughs> great, You're Ramey. Great work this weekend. Basketball, football, and uh, safe travels back, man. Thanks so much. Care, see you, buddy. boys. All right, that is Grant Ramey, a cohort of ours over at VolQuest.com. Plenty of basketball coverage. Rob Lewis wrote a couple of things as well. Tennessee 89-88 over Michigan State in exhibition play from East Lansing here today. We'll answer more of your questions. We'll continue to talk Tennessee's win over Kentucky, what this means moving forward. All that coming up in the final 15 minutes right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. we got about 15 minutes left here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Appreciate you guys for being here every Sunday night, recapping Tennessee's game the day before, and, of course, it was a late one in Lexington, but Tennessee came out on top 33-27, and 6-2 on the year, 3-2 and two in SEC, coming back home for homecoming against UConn, going on the road to Missouri, and the showdown back at Neyland Stadium against Georgia on November the 18th. Let's go ahead and answer some of your questions. We'll start here with tournament brackets. Uh, we'll conclude here with tournament bracket here on this segment. Um, how concerned should we be about the secondary moving forward? Felt like no hadn't really hurt, and we'll need to tighten up to even uh, to beat Missouri. Yeah, we talked about this a little earlier. Of course, not having Kamal Haddon out there, is, I mean, it, it's worrisome because he's your best cover corner. I think a lot of it has to do with the front, getting some pressure on the quarterback, but uh, they got to be better because, yeah, with the way Missouri is scoring, Tennessee will need to make some plays in that game, and you can't give cushions the way you gave them last night. Yeah, no doubt. you got to play better um, at all fronts. you got to play better at the star position. you got to play better at corner. Safety's got to play better, too. Um, Tennessee played a lot of cover, too, last night, played some zone stuff, and Play with some soft cushions. They've got to tighten things up. Also, wants to know Dante Thornton coming out party. Should we expect more from him? You you mentioned a couple of times he looked uh, more he, he looked more comfortable on the outside. He certainly, from a production standpoint, looked better on the outside than he's looked in the slot all year long. Tennessee needs this to be a coming out party for him. Tennessee needs him to produce uh, to be the guy that they thought they were getting in spring and summer uh, and a little bit of fall camp as well. Um, I think that'd be a real good thing if he could continue to be something for Tennessee out there with Squirrel wide in the slot. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think it's his home. I think it's a better position for him. I think it's a better fit. Uh, there's less contact in there. There's less traffic to, to navigate through, uh, less linebackers to knock you off the routes and things like that. It's more one-on-one. Josh Heupel said on ball calls last week when I talked to him about you know receivers in his offense, he said the further you get away from the ball, the easier it is to play the position. It's most complicated you know, at the slot and closer in. So – I think out wide makes him more confident and allows him to play faster to use all of his athletic ability. Tony says, Austin, there's no Austin on this video, but why does Jalen Wright run two to three times and then tap out? Crazy. You know, me and Austin Price, we do kind of joke about this in the press box, but it's not two to three times. I mean, they'll ride him for a series, and they'll ride him, give him the football a lot, and he'll run, run, run. And if it's a long, sustaining drive, getting down to the end zone, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten plays, he gets tired down there, especially after a, a lengthy run, maybe a 15 or 20 yards. And he'll, a lot of times he'll tap out because he's tired. And that's when they bring in Dylan Sampson. That's where Dylan Sampson vultured a lot of the touchdowns against Virginia. Uh, Jalen Rod's obviously their, their, their RB1, but he gets tired on those long drives. And that's kind of the, the unique situation because it's like Jalen Wrights gets the first two series. A lot of times Jabari Small will get the next series. And then Dylan Sampson will get the third series, but he's also the spell guy for both of those guys. Yeah, and I'm curious to see how they use Samson moving forward. Um, you know, he had a great fourth quarter. Where is he at this weekend? If things go well, you'd like to get some Cam Seldon on tape and and get a, you know get his feet wet a little bit as well. 
if the game goes the right way. So we'll see what happens this week. Uh, you need Jalen Wright healthy for the stretch run. So I, I think you probably are cautious with him this week and uh, go from there. But it is a little surprising to see him at times, you know, tap out, you know, near, near the finish ladder and the goal line. I'm not quite sure why he wasn't in there in the fourth quarter, uh, other than they got Samson a series in there and he was really hot. But Tennessee only had two, they only had two drives in the in the fourth quarter, and it was Samson, you know, both times, and he obviously put put Kentucky away with his play. Herb says, "When will we see Ricky Gibson or some of these young defensive backs? We saw Ricky Gibson for a couple of plays yesterday, um, but he's been about the only young defensive back that we've seen of of those freshmen, right?" Um, just a matter of getting him reps, making sure he's doing the right thing. But we saw Ricky Gibson play against Florida. Saw Ricky Gibson get in there a little bit last night, but then they went more towards veterans and and um, and uh, Brandon Turnage and Warren Burrell. Yeah, and Ricky Gibson finished his night in the locker room. And so we'll see if he's available this weekend or not. Uh, he got hurt, got banged up, uh, got off to the sideline there. He didn't go down in the field of play for a trainer to come look at him, but uh, he did get banged up. Um, and uh, went and went to the locker room, um, you know, early in the late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, and, and didn't return. So we'll see where he's at for this weekend if he's going to be available or not. So obviously they would like to get some of those young guys some reps. He would be at the top of the list to get more reps this week, but I don't know if he's going to be available or not. Austin says, "How sad is it that Tennessee and Kentucky might not play every year moving forward? So much passion on both sides." I mean, this game's been played, Brent, since what? Early 1900s, Battle of the, Battle of the Beer Barrel, the Border Bowl rule, Border Bowl game. Without um, many names, it's Tennessee, Kentucky. They played every single year. But, you know, moving forward and the, you know, the seasons to come with the expansion and all that, it might not unless they go to that 6-3 model and it's deemed as one of those three uh, permanent opponents, which probably won't be, but we'll see. Um, you know, they're likely probably going to do the 7-1 model. But anyway... Um, it'd be kind of sad not playing Kentucky every single year because there's so much history there in the series. Well, I think there's going to be several rivalries like this in the league that are going to yeah. go by the wayside. And um, it, it's unfortunate I, that, you know, that's what happens with progress, I guess, if you consider this progress. But when you bring in more teams and you, you know, you're balancing things out, uh, you're going to lose some stuff. And, and I think it is unfortunate because um, that's a fun rivalry to be a part of. You always get Kentucky's best um, up there in particular. Uh, they always seemingly leave with a lot of heartache and heart heartbreak because Tennessee has been so successful up there. Uh, but there is a lot of passion in, in this series. And, um, but again, this is not going to be the only one in the league that that's going to end up being a casualty of expansion. Um, that there's going to be multiple really good rivalries that a lot of fan bases are going to miss playing those games every year, but that's just the reality when you bring in two new teams. Cole wants to know if Tennessee finishes nine and three this year, is it a better coaching job than last year? I understand where the question's coming from because you lost so much NFL talent, but I'm still going to say no. Year two, you win ten regular season games, you win a New Year Six bowl game, you have a Bolitnikoff Award winner, you should have had a Heisman finalist. Sure, there's a lot of talent on there, but you developed that talent. Um, in year two, I'm still going to say it was a much better coaching job last year. But you finished nine and three, maybe you know it, it, you finished nine and three despite losing all that talent and overcoming some of the things you had to overcome this year. I still think that's a really good coaching job by Josh Heupel. Uh Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good coaching job. Is it better than last year? Um, if you manage the Alabama game better last week, I might have a little bit of a different vibe there. Uh, the Florida game is a tough one to swallow because. I would love to have seen Tennessee play that game with Cooper Mays at center. 
and with this offensive line that they're playing with right now, because I do think they could have been more effective running the football. Um, so there's a little bit of an asterisk there, but you still didn't find a way to win it. Uh, you took a quarter off. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I, last year's team was more talented. They were certainly more talented on offense than this year's team is, uh, and, and you're still averaging a good number of points. But I, I don't know that I would say this year's a better coaching job than last year was. Bill says penalties is the biggest issue right now. Please fix it, Tennessee. Uh, Josh Heupel seems to have always been penalized. Every year he's been here, when he was at UCF. In fact, the Kentucky-Tennessee matchup was the two most penalized teams in the Southeastern Conference. Um, you're going to get a lot of, you know, when, when you throw that screen out there, a lot of the times you're going to throw it for, you know, forward pass or whatever, or lineman downfield blocking. They flirt with that every single week. You get some pre-snap penalties, which is unfortunate, but it feels like, with Josh Heupel's teams, at least since he's been here at Tennessee, you're going to get penalized a lot. And he'd like to get it cut down, but it's just one of those things you kind of learn to deal with, I guess. Yeah, funny, Tennessee's last two opponents, two of the most heavily penalized teams in the league until they played Tennessee. Um, and then they weren't. Um, so sometimes things work out that way. But no, I mean, I think when you're always flirting on the edge of a pass interference penalty, you know, you're going to get some of those things. I think sometimes when you go fast, you go almost too fast for yourself from time to time, which can result in some penalties. Um, it's just the way it is. Now, now, the difference is a year ago, it didn't bother you. You know, I mean, we had, we had almost 800 yards in penalties last year, but it didn't bother anybody. Nobody was caught, you know, was put, posting a, a comment about, you know, clean up the penalties. It's the biggest issue with this team because Jalen Hyatt could score from anywhere on the field at any point. Third and tw second and 12 was, wasn't a big deal. You know, second and four versus second and 12 didn't feel like it was a big di big difference with this offense a year ago. It is with this team because this offense is different. They do need to play cleaner football down the stretch. If they're going to have a chance to win at Missouri and a chance to, to beat Georgia, they cannot have a day where they've got 10 penalties or 75, 80 yards of penalty yards. It hurt them in 2021, that Pittsburgh game over 100 yards of penalties, the Florida game over 100 yards of penalties. You lost both of those games. Pittsburgh game was close as well, and so – yeah, that 2022 season, you could overcome a lot. You could mask a lot, whereas you know, this year, it obviously stands out a little bit more. Uh, Michael says, do you think the staff will really push to get some young players in this week? Probably the best chance to see some young players in game action, and they will be expected to contribute more and more next year. Brent, we said it about Austin P, about UTSA. I mean, goodness gracious, yes, you want Nico to play a half of football. You want Ricky Gibson, Jordan Matthews. You want... Addison Nichols to get some run, you know, maybe, maybe it's even a plug and play type game where some of these guys put them in there with the, with the first string for a series. I mean, once you got the lead and everything, um, this is a week to do it. You need to do that because also too, you're kind of playing with, you have to recruit your roster. You have to recruit it every single off season. Intentionally Tennessee played those young wide receivers uh, against UTSA earlier this year. You need to push to get some of these guys in there. It's homecoming. It's UConn, the perfect week for it. I hope we get to see Nico play two quarters of football for him. Not not anything Joe related. Joe's playing great, but just to see him get out there. Yeah, no doubt. And and you better. This is where you need to find out uh, who who can help you and who can't help you, right? I mean, if there's some guys that you're you know you're unsure about, then what does that look like roster management at the end of the season? You know, if there's a guy who comes to you, coach, I'm not playing a whole lot. I don't I don't know that I want to stay here, but you think he can really help you based on what you saw out of him in a game like this, or um, UTSA, or maybe if you get some guys in the Vanderbilt game and you say, man, we can't lose this guy. Changes how you manage that roster, you know, when, when you're looking at things late in the year. So, yeah, I mean, I think you better take advantage of every opportunity if you can get it this weekend.
to play young players uh, as much as you can play them and let them play. Don't just put them out there to to milk the clock. And you know, you need to see who can help you and who can't help you moving forward because there's going to be a big roster turnover on this team, not because of transfer portals, Eric. There's going to be a big roster turnover because of graduation and veteran players. You need to find out exactly where you are with some young players because that could also determine what your needs are in the transfer portal, right? Yeah. Where are you at receiver? You know where you are at tight end, but where are you at some other positions in terms of how much do you need help? You don't really know the answer to that if you're not playing some of these guys. You better take full advantage of it this week. Last question I want to get into, and it, it, it's not necessarily answering Michael's question here. We're talking about last year Spencer Rowler went off against Tennessee. He said, well, because South Carolina knew the plays. But bigger picture here. I mean, there's last week dominated the storylines of Michigan, sign ceiling, all that type of stuff. Moving forward, not not necessarily asking you what you think and hear that it's a developing story, but moving forward, you know, technology, helmet, you know, microphones and, and earpieces in the helmets, that's got to be a part of the college game, right? I mean, you're seeing that in the NFL. Obviously, we got a we got something on the mailbag question or po- podcast earlier this week saying that some high schools in America do that, maybe some rich high schools, but that's got to be incorporated in the college game moving forward to try to help alleviate some of that, correct? Yeah, and I think you're going to see Power 5 teams experiment with it in the bowl game. I think yeah. that's going to be out there in the bowl game. I don't really know why you have to experiment with it. You know what it is. Like, it should just be made available. If you don't want to use it, don't use it. But it shouldn't be illegal technology if it's readily available and it's it's cost-efficient enough that everybody can afford it. You know? I mean, if somebody in the NFL doesn't want to use the, 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 the earpiece in their helmet, there's no law that says they have to use it but it's available. I think it should be available at the college level. I don't know why you have to experiment with it in the bowl game to see whether you're going to use it or not going to use it. I think moving forward, you're going to see that technology available to teams. And I think you'll see teams use it, not just in the bowl game, but I think you'll see them use it next season. A great hour here on the Rockets Out Rewind. We do it every single Sunday night, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Eastern Time, VolQuest on the YouTube channel and VolQuest.com. I'm Eric Kane. That is Brent Hubbs, Tennessee, a 33-27 to winner over Kentucky. 6-2 and two on the year and 3-2 and two now in Southeastern Conference play. Tennessee returns home, plays UConn for homecoming, then we'll hit the road to take on, um, to take on uh, Missouri and then back home for Georgia and, of course, Vanderbilt to finish out the regular season. All that coverage, preview coverage as we continue on with game weeks right here at VolQuest.com. Appreciate you guys for being here as always. Big thanks to Spivey King and Spivey. LOP for making this coverage possible. If you have a need, if you uh, need to um, you know, talk to those guys, if you have a need for them, give them a call today. A free consultation, 423-245-4185. You can always visit them online at spivykingandspivylop.com. For Brent Hubs, Grant Ramey, I am Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys, as always, for joining us right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.